0: Good morning, uh, you guys. You guys made it. You're you're the faithful. Uh, way to go. Uh, you're going to be uh, really gifted with uh, kind of the meat and potatoes message today, since you made it. You're you're what I consider the hardy folk. Uh, sturdy peasant stock is uh, uh, is a good term. So um, because you're here, I figured um, you didn't want a kind of light, fluffy, happy Christmas message. You wanted like you want the real thing. Like you you need. Like the deep theological message, and, and you're going to get it today. Like, I, I'm being totally serious. Um, you, you're going to get a, a very strong, uh, very weighty, yet uh, marvelous, I believe, message. So, First Service did a, a great job at hanging in there. It's going to take a little extra work today, but uh, like I said, you're sturdy peasant stock. You made it here, so I think you can hang all the way through. So let's uh, let's just get right after it today. So Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church. Have you guys ever heard of the letter to the Ephesians? Good, okay, so you've been here, we did that for 12 weeks. After he writes that letter to the Ephesian church, he writes a letter to one of the leaders in Ephesus. This is Timothy. He's a young guy. Um, I like to think of myself as uh, following in his footsteps sometimes, a young guy, but he writes this letter to Timothy, and, and it's kind of a letter that's um, a lot of information. This is how you're to lead a church, this is what elders are supposed to do, here's kind of the rules and the regs on how to how to do church. But as he opens up this letter, in the first chapter, kind of halfway through, he, he's says a sentence in there that I think really sets frame for the whole rest of the book. And I want to start with that sentence, really setting frame for our time here this morning. It's a, it's a great sentence. So in verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy and he writes this. He says, This is a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We're to just let that settle in this morning for a second. Christ did not come to bring political peace. Christ did not come to, to be a good example. He did not come to be a good teacher. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I, I, I want to let that soak today. We're, we're going to bask in that statement and, and far more than that, but... But I want us to start there. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we we come to a passage this morning, we come to a time, we come to a season when when I just want to call time out. And I I want to say, Lord, this, this is a very, very significant time. You came to the world to save sinners. And Jesus, you, you came to the world to save me. I was lost, I was dead, I was without hope. And you came to save me. This is such good news. I celebrate your name today. Amen. So I've got, I got two goals today. I'm going to tell you what they are, and I'm going to tell you how we want to do that. Um, first goal is, is we want to marvel this morning that Jesus Christ came into the world. I mean, th- that truth alone is, is a very difficult truth to try to give words to, to, to give weight to the fact that, that Christ came to the world. In, in John's gospel, in verse 1, he says, um, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was always God. He says, let there be and there is. He holds all things together by the power of his word. This is Jesus Christ, the the second person of the Godhead. And in verse 14 in John we read, and the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Not only his glory, but the glory that came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So we want to marvel today. That Jesus Christ came into the world. Philippians tells us that that he did not consider himself equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became a man. I want want us to see the grandeur of that this morning. I want us to see the grandeur of, of Christ taking on humanity. He, he had a divine nature, and then he added to it a human nature, and that that's baffling. I, I think so often we we fail to worship because we're lazy in our theology. I, I don't think we give truths like this the, the weight that it deserves. I think oftentimes we're so busy celebrating a, a fat guy in a red suit, or, or even more cleverly disguised our, our loving families, and, oh, I love you, I love your kids, I love your mom, and, and those can be good, but Christmas is about Jesus coming to save sinners. Jesus came. And two, I I want us to marvel not only that he came, but that he came to save sinners. We're, we're, We're talking the one who holds the universe in the power of his hand, who says, let there be, and there is. And he came for me. He came to save sinners. He was born of a, of a poor, working class, 13, 14-year-old girl. Born in a, a manger for animals. He was scorned. He was mocked. He was murdered for me. I, I want to marvel at that this morning. This is, this is not your story of, of some guy who was born of a mom and dad, and he said, hey, I think I've found the way to God. Right? Right? that's not our story. Our story is God coming to earth saying, I'm God. And that's, that's mind-blowing. Uh, God coming to earth as a man. So, so I, I've been struggling with, with trying to even put words to, to describe the, the weight that, that we need saving. I mean, that's, that's a hard truth to grasp. Like, I need saving. And I don't think we can even get close to, to feeling the weight of that truth until we can see the depth of our depravity and the depth of our sin. So, so I just simply have to say all of us, by our nature, by our choice, have made ourselves enemies with God, and we need saving. And Christmas is Christ coming to save. So I want to look at that. I want to marvel at that today. Jesus came to save you. If you've got a Bible, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where Randall left off last week in verse 26. I'll say right now, it's going to be a little bit different than how I normally preach. I, I normally like to kind of just walk through and, and a lot of application Today, like I said, it's, this, is, this is rich stuff. This is, this is uh, very theological. It's very weighty. There's a lot here. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to answer a lot of why questions today. Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a God-man? Why did Jesus have to come like this? And what does my response need to be? I'm telling you right now, it's going to take a lot more attention than usual. Um, if you're younger in here, you're a kid, you're in elementary, high school, junior high, like, I'm not going to apologize, but I'm going to say it's going to take some very hard listening and some close paying attention. Right? So, so if a lot of it goes overhead, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to find your dad. I want you to say, hey, hey dad, what was Pastor Josh saying right and and dads pay attention because you got to be able to tell your kids and if dad's not around ask your mom hey mom what was pastor josh saying all right so so parents you got a weighty task as well there's a lot to do here so so can we can we marvel together today i think we can Let's get into the text. I'm going to read it all the way through. And then I'm I'm really just going to pull out four questions from the text. I'm not going to walk through it. I'm not going to, oh, look at this, look at that. We're going to ask four big questions surrounding this text, but also surrounding Christ coming to earth. So verse 26, this is the book of Luke, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In looking at Luke, I think it's brilliant that, that we're in Luke. Because Luke's a very different writer than any of the other writers in the entire Bible. New Testament or Old. Luke, he writes both Luke and Acts, and he's the only writer who's not a Jew. He's a Greek, so he writes in a, in a fashion that's very different, I think. And I, I think it actually helps myself. I think it helps us Western thinkers because Greeks, unlike Jews, were very linear in their thinking. And he's very logical. And, and, and through his writing, through his um, really approach at looking at Mary's response and Zachariah and Elizabeth, I think he answers questions that you and I would want to know. I think he, he looks at Mary and he says, how did she respond? What was she feeling? What was she thinking? And so we get in Luke scripture passages that we don't have in the other three gospel accounts. We have this whole song and this whole response from Mary afterwards that we don't get anywhere. So I think Luke is a fantastic place to start in terms of looking at what God is doing and the questions that we might have. So we're going to look at a couple questions. We're going to look at four of them. They're, they're big questions. They're weighty questions. I'm going to do my best job to, to try to simplify some of these answers to make them palatable to understand here in this setting. But I, but I think that these are questions that are um, very much worth wrestling over and wrestling through. The first question, this is question number one. It's a, it's a, it's a simple type of question, but it's a very complicated answer. And it, and it says, why did Jesus have to come to earth as a God-man? So, so why did he? So we, we know, we've, we've all said, okay, um, I'm not perfect. We all acknowledge that. But, but why did God send his son to die? I mean, that, doesn't that sometimes seem a little egomaniacal? I mean, it seems a little over the top to me. Like, yeah, send your son, have him killed like that. Couldn't you just have sprinkled a little forgiveness dust on everyone and, and called it good? Like, why not? You're God. Can't you do all things? Well, why, why was it necessary for a God-man. We're going to look at this. Um, chi- if you have children, do, do your children ever ask things of you? Do they ever command things of you? All the time. Right? Last night, was, it was a rough night in my home. I did not sleep much at all. My daughter was, was sick and she was throwing up, which is really sad for a one-year-old. I've never seen that before. But, um, so she, we were um, you know, holding her all night, and at one point she's in our bed which is rare she's never in our bed but she's in there for a little while and she turns over and she looks at me and she goes daddy out <laughs> like, Exc- excuse me like, and she kept saying like four or five times like daddy out out like get out of my bed i'm like whoa 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 like that's a command kids kids command things of us all the time right mommy mommy give me a car uh, Daddy, give me some ice cream. There, there's commands. Now, now, I have a choice, right? I, I can choose as a parent to, to follow that command or to not follow that command. Right, well, well, let's, let's go a different scenario. Let's go local government. Let's go school zone. Right here, we have a, a school zone. It's 20 miles an hour in Oregon, which is, which is pretty intense, but it's 20. And uh, people are getting pulled over all the time. You know, I see it in our parking lot here. I see people learning to drive and people getting tickets. Um, what, if, what if one day you just decide, like, you know what? I'm not going to go 20. I'm going to go 80. Uh, I'm going to be holding a gin and tonic and a nine millimeter, and I'm going to just cruise through the school zone. Like, you have a choice. Like, you can choose to do that, can't you? Right now, now let me ask you this. If, if, if you were caught doing that, would your punishment be greater than saying, no, Charlotte, I'm staying in bed? Would it be greater? Yeah, of, of course. That is, that is obvious. And, and why is that? That's because crimes are always punished In accordance to our obligation to follow them. Right? So, am I obligated to follow my daughter's commands? Eh, not really. I mean, sometimes I do because I love her. The government? Yeah, most of the time we're we're pretty obligated. Right? And the, the punishment to that crime is always fitting according to our level of obligation to follow that law or that command. All right, you can follow where I'm going with this, right? So you get an infinite God who we are infinitely obligated to follow. So when we break that command, whatever it may be, whether it's don't eat that fruit or whether it's don't steal or don't lie or whatever that command is, that is an infinite obligation. We need to follow that. Well, punishment has to be rendered. And there has to be an equal punishment due to the equality of who we offended. That is why hell exists. Eternal separation infinitely from an infinite God because we broke a command against someone who is infinite. So we have a problem here. You ever violated a command against God? Anyone? let's be honest. Come on, let's raise some hands. All right, winner, winner, chicken dinner, we all win. In order for God to uphold his perfect justice, we all need eternal separation from him forever. And the only way to get past that is for someone to make the appropriate payment to pardon that sin. Now follow. Here's, here's where it gets tricky. Um, there's only one problem with this payment. It, it has to be human. This payment has to be human because it was human. It was Adam. It was you and I who offended God. But more than that, it has to be human, but it has to come with infinite value. But you and I aren't infinite. Our value is not infinite because we are finite people. So a payment has to be made that's human, but it has to come with infinite value because it was an infinite offense against an infinite God. That's where Jesus says, I'm going to take my infinite Godness, my infinite value, I am priceless because I am infinite. I will add to that divinity, humanity, And I will be that infinitely valuable payment. So why the need for a a God-man? The need for a God-man is is necessary because it's the only payment that would cover the debt of our rebellion against an infinitely holy and just God. That's why it had to be a God-man. And Christmas celebrates the coming of the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Question number two, why, why the virgin birth? Why, 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 why would God, why, why did he do it that way? It's so important that Luke, when he starts out his writing, what we, what we just read is he, he doesn't even refer to Mary by her name at first. He just calls her the virgin. Right? There was a virgin. And eventually, he says it was Mary. But it's a big deal. Remember, Luke's a physician. He's a medical doctor. I mean, he, he's just as blown away by this as you and I. Like, whoa, 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 this doesn't make sense. Like, a virgin, um, yeah, th- this is a big deal. So what do you believe about the virgin birth? Right? Do you believe it happened? Do you believe it was factual? Do you believe it was literal? Barna did a study. I think this is, I think it's pretty interesting. Barna did a study in 2007, and they, um, they listed six different stories from the Bible. These stories are the strength of Samson, Eve and the serpent, the flood, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus turning water into wine, and the virgin birth. And they polled people all across America, and they asked people which one of these stories is literal. You know, are they all literal? Are some literal? Um, I thought it was interesting. That the answer that was given with the most affirming yes was the virgin birth. It's interesting. 75% of people polled said they believe in an actual, literal virgin birth. Uh, In that poll, there were 60 subcategories of different types of people. You know, socioeconomic classes, age, race, religion, all these types of things. And of the 60, 59% had a majority that said, I believe in the literal virgin birth. Right? One category, atheists and agnostics, didn't have a majority. But they still had 15%, which I think is interesting. Um, But our question is, what, what do you believe about the virgin birth? Right? Do you believe it happened? If you confess Jesus Christ with your mouth and, and deny the virgin birth, you are saying that you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible says that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I mean, it's, it's simple truth here. I mean, you, you look at the text, you look at Parthenos, the Greek verb, it's, it's there uh, 15 times. And, and what's wild is every time it means virgin. Right. So, But beyond just that, that, that's simple. Okay, sure, it's in the text. You know, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. It's his word. Okay, yes, I believe that. Okay, beyond that, why? Why the need for a virgin birth? We're going to look at four reasons why God did it this way. I think this is a deduction of reasoning from, from systematic theology as a whole. Some of these are my thoughts. Others are from William G.T. Shedd, uh, from Louis Burkhoff, and a little from Wayne Grudem as well. So looking at four reasons why... The virgin birth was necessary. The first reason why the virgin birth is necessary is because humanity, you and I, we needed a redeemer. We needed Christ to come, and we needed God to initiate it. it you notice that um, in uh, Genesis, when God says, I'm going to bring about a fix to this problem, he says, I'm going to do it. You, you look at um, the announcement of, of Gabriel to Mary. He doesn't go to Mary and say, um, so Mary, i got a favor to ask you. Right? He, he says, um, God's doing this. You, you don't really have much of a choice here. God, this is of God's will. He's initiating. It's God who's doing it. So virgin birth shows that this was not you know, a man and a woman, and they were going to do something. And God's, okay, I, I might be able to work with this. No, this is God saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save my people, and, and I'm going to make this happen. So we have an initiation by God. Second, the virgin birth shows the full humanity and full divinity of Christ in one person. We were already told that we needed both. We needed divinity because we needed infinite value. Not only did we need infinite value, we needed someone who could also take God's wrath, and divinity is the only way to accomplish that. But we also needed humanity because it was humanity who sinned, and we have the uniting of the both. So so follow me. Um, Before conception, before Holy Spirit, before Mary, before humanity meets divinity, Jesus Christ existed forever for all time as the second person in the Godhead without a human body, without a human nature. John, we read it in the beginning, he was with God, he was God, he existed forever. Um, I will say he was limited only in his experience in experiencing a finite human reality. So are you following that? God in his godness did not have a human experience. So he did not experience the the limits that you and I experience because we are finite, because we have limited views of things. But with virgin birth, with um, divinity meeting humanity, we have a uniting of both divinity and of humanity, making him from now forevermore having the experience of humanity. So we, we read in Westminster Confession that God right now, I'll read it, the Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being originally the eternal Son of God, so originally, He became man and was so and can, continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. So now, since that moment, when conception happened, God exists, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, as a God, as God with a human nature as well, he added to himself humanity and will forever exist that way. That is why he has a body. That is why he has a human nature and a God nature. It's, it's convenient. He, he looks like me, but he can go through walls and he can be from here to Emmaus like that. And he's also God. And he probably looks way better than me. <laughs> the virgin birth was the only way to miraculously unite two natures you needed a human nature you needed a divine nature three the virgin birth kept jesus from inheriting original sin if jesus would have had a biological father if joseph would have been his biological father and mary his biological mother you would have had a direct line all the way through uh, all the way to adam inheriting a sinful nature but because he did not have that lineage because that was broken his sin nature was broken We read in verse 35, we read, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to you shall be called holy, the Son of God. That word therefore is basically saying, because the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, Mary, because God is going to be the one doing it, he is going to be holy. He's going to be separate. He's going to be different because of the work that God did. He did not inherit Original sin, but we got to take that one step further because someone would ask, "Well, why didn't he inherit that from Mary then? Right? If if he if his bloodline was broken through the descendants of Adam because of Joseph, well, what about Mary? How come he didn't receive um, original sin from Mary? Right? Was was Mary a broken vessel or was she a perfect vessel? This is something that the church has wrestled with for a while. The Catholic Church, our good friends, I think they have it wrong. You know, they believe in immaculate conception. They believe that Mary, in her mom's womb, was through the Holy Spirit set apart, sanctified, made perfect from, she didn't inherit uh, Adam's sinful nature. We just take that one step further and say, no, uh, that didn't happen with Mary's mom. That happened with Mary through the Holy Spirit to Jesus, because the text says that, right? So, he did not inherit a sinful nature from his mom and ultimately we have to say he didn't get it from his dad because the bloodline was broken but beyond and more importantly he didn't inherit sinful nature because the holy spirit did a work in Mary. so at the moment when divinity met humanity we have instant sanctification instantly so you and i when we're saved we are saved at a moment but then we have this this lifelong struggle don't we that wasn't true with Jesus, because you have perfection meeting humanity, and instantly he's sanctified forever. It's a great deal for him. Fourth, Jesus was born to a virgin, I believe, to show God's power. If you have kids, or if you are familiar with him, uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You need a mom and a dad to make a baby. Right? That's, that's just... That's pretty com- Yep, you knew that, right? Yep, mom and dad. You need a mom and dad. That's good. We got eight-year-olds knowing that. When, when God says, I'm going to send my son, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. I'm in heaven. Psalm 115.3 ran over it last week. I do whatever I please. I'm going to do it the way I want it. I'm going to show the world, no, this, this is on me. I think he also does it because 700 years earlier, he said he would do it. Look at Isaiah. He says, I'm going to do it this way. It's going to be via a virgin. And then he does. It's amazing. He shows the power of himself. Third big question we have is, is why Joseph? I think it's interesting. If if you know the the narrative at all, Joseph is is around in the beginning. You know, in the beginning of Matthew, you see it. In the beginning of Luke, you see it. Um, you, You know a little bit about Joseph. But then later, you only have one more account where um, uh, they go to the temple and they leave Jesus behind. And then after that, Joseph's gone. Like, where, where'd Joe go? You know, he's, he's not in the picture anymore. A, a lot of people say he might have been older than Mary, so he might have died and uh, Mary would have uh, not had him around, so we just don't hear much about him. But, but the question is, why, why Joseph? Why, did, why is he even necessary in this story? I'm going to rail through some verses here and refresh some of our memory um, for those of you who, who like to write stuff down, this is going to drive you crazy. I'm just going to go through a bunch here. So, Exodus 3:18, the Messiah will come from the Hebrew race. Genesis 9:26 and 27, the Messiah will come from the family of Shem. Genesis 12:3 and 18:18, 18, 18, the Messiah will come from the seed of Abraham. Genesis 17:19, the Messiah will come from the line of Isaac. Genesis 28:4 4 through 14, Numbers 24:5 through 17, Isaiah 41:8, the Messiah will come from the line of Jacob. Genesis 49.10, 1 Chronicles 5.2, Micah 5.2, the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. 2 Samuel 7, 12-15, 1 Chronicles 17, 11-14, Psalm 89, 4-36, through 36, Isaiah 9-7, the Messiah will come from the house of David. Now if you go and you look at the lineage of, from Matthew, in Matthew 1 or Luke 3, and you look at how that is traced all the way back, the lists show that Jesus was from the Hebrew race, he was from the family of Shem, he was from the seed of Abraham, he was from the line of Jacob, of Isaac, he was from the tribe of Judah, and he was from the house of David. All of which start are inaugurated, going back to Abraham and Adam in both of those lists, through who? Through his mom or his dad? Through his dad. It's through Joseph. So all the prophecy from the Old Testament, all of it is fulfilled through Joseph. It's fulfilled because the bloodline that came from Adam, that came from the house of Shem, that came from Abraham, all of that was true because of Joseph. If it wasn't for Joseph, they wouldn't have been in Nazareth. Why Nazareth? They're in Nazareth because Joseph's family was from Nazareth. We have texts hundreds of years earlier saying the Messiah will be born in Nazareth. So Joseph plays a key part in fulfillment of prophecy, being a key part in the family. Fourth question, and we'll get to kind of our response here. Why why Mary? Why Mary? Mary is a huge deal in our culture. You know, a big, big deal in our culture. Uh, in 2004, someone had something for sale on eBay. They, they had a sandwich. This is a grilled cheese sandwich. They took a bite out of it. They put it in uh, a plastic container, and they put cotton balls around it, and they kept it for 10 years. And what's so fascinating about this sandwich is that the burn marks on the grilled cheese uh, were burned in such a way that they resembled uh, what seemed to be the face of a woman. Right? This person, brilliant marketing, said, that's the Virgin Mary. Take a wild guess as to how much that sandwich sold for. 28K. 28 grand for a 10-year-old sandwich, grilled cheese with a bite out of it. Like, I love me some grilled cheese, but people worship Mary. But why? why? What's so special about Mary. I mean, literally, she's, she is no one from nowhere. Historians say that her town could have had a hundred people in it. A hundred. She's not this girl who's begging the Lord, God, I've wanted a kid for so long. Right, she's probably 13, 14. That's the last thing she wants. Why Mary? I think, and this is just me, I think that God chose Mary for the same reason He chose Zechariah and Elizabeth. When Mary was told that she was going to have a kid, she responds. She says, "Well, um, I'm sorry, but this is impossible biologically." And the angel comes back in 35, and he says, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, you therefore the child will be born will be called holy, Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth, who is in her old age, has also conceived a son. 37. For nothing is impossible with God. I think he chose a, a very old barren woman and, and a young 14-year-old girl from the middle of nowhere to show that nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. His way is not our way. He will do what he wants the way he wants because he is God and nothing is, without, is outside of the power of his hand. I started off and I said, I I want us to marvel at two things. I want us to marvel at the fact that that God came to this earth. That that God took on humanity. And that He did it to save me. To save you. We asked four questions. Why was it necessary for Jesus to be born? Especially as a God-man. Why was the virgin birth so important? Why Joseph? Why Mary? In closing, I, w- I want us to, to quickly look at the response of Mary and, and look at how we respond to this news. Um, we're not going to read the text. I want you to go home. I want you to read it. The rest of uh, one and into two, you, you get Mary's response. You've know, you got to imagine. Put yourself there for just a second. As Mary's, as she's hearing this news, and then beyond just hearing the news, but then experiencing life afterwards, like 14-year-old pregnant from God, like how does that unfold? Right, we we don't have all the answers in the text. We we're left with tons of questions. Right? like how did her parents respond? I I have to imagine, and I don't know. Maybe God spoke to them too. The text doesn't say that. You got to imagine. Like your kid comes home, thirteen-year-old girl, she's like, um, I'm pregnant, and it was God. Right, and I don't I don't think it helps that God verified this story through Joseph. Like Joseph corroborates the same story. Like I just. As a parent, I don't see that. But then but then beyond that, like what's the ramifications for being pregnant outside of wedlock in that culture? I mean that's that's death. Like throughout the text, we see it all over from the beginning to the end to, to Jesus' face, we know your mom's a whore. We know who your mom is. Where's your daddy? Right? Even as she has a child, she is told via prophecy that her child's going to die. Um, also the weight of your child being God. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot for a young girl. I mean, if anyone has a time where they probably should freak out, it's Mary, isn't it? I mean, last week, I, I think it's so ironic. You look at how different a response. You have, you have an old couple who are begging the Lord, God, please, 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 I want a kid, I want a kid, I want a kid. Okay, you can have a kid. Really? No. And then you have a, a 13-year-old girl who's in no place to get pregnant. And God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. And how does she respond? She responds. She, she goes to visit her relative. And, and as she's going on her way, she, she recites. You've got to imagine, this is from memory. She's, she recites pieces to Hannah's song back in Second Samuel. Where she's quoting when Hannah said, God, thank you for this kid that I've always longed for. She's quoting in, in reference to, God, our people have been waiting to be saved. I can see that this child that you've given me is the answer here. And the text says the famous words, she pondered these in her heart. Are we, are we pondering this truth today in our heart? Are, are we pondering? Are we marveling? that God came to this earth. And that's it's almost unbelievable. And He came to this earth to save you. Some great truths. I want us to respond like Mary. I want us to be grateful. I want us to be thankful. I want to ponder these things. We're going to have some time here. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing a couple um, Christmas songs very, very rich. Look at the words of this first song that we're going to sing. We're going to, Paul's going to lead it, and just, just let it soak in. Let the words soak in. Sing with them. Let it soak. We're going to have some time. The tables will be open for communion. Perfect time to say, God, this is your body right here. You, you gave your life for me. You became a man. You bled. You died for me. So take that on your own when you're ready. Let's worship together. I'm going to close in prayer. God, thank you for sending your Son. The only way that I have hope is is by a, a human, divine sacrifice of infinite value to pay the price for my infinitely heinous rebellion against a glorious God. Father, I I pray that this morning we would marvel at You. That during this Christmas season that we would marvel that You came. That You came to save me. That You came to save sinners. Lord, let us not forget that. Let that be the first thing that we think of as as we spend time with family over the season, as we spend time giving to one another, let the first thing be, God, thank you for coming to save me. We love you in your name. Amen.